Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a new fix for the security clearance process isn't such a new idea after all. This is not the first time the government has looked at clearance before. There are efforts in the 2000s, there are efforts in the 90s, in the 80s. I actually even found one in 1957. And the building blocks for data gains at the National Archives. Once the maturity of the data grows, you can look at building data sets and apply natural language processing and machine learning. And where the applications that you build, the insight is directly derived from your data. It's Thursday, December 23rd, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Office of Management and Budget's taking comments on its first ever draft learning guidance. The guidance includes three questions, how to strengthen the federal workforce, how to build trust through program and service delivery, and how to promote equity and support underserved communities. Commenters can support their remarks through January 31st. Artificial intelligence researchers have a new toolbox from the Defense Advanced Research Project Agency to improve algorithm security. The Guaranteeing AI Robustness Against Deception program includes a platform called Armory that tests code against a range of attacks. The program's manager, Bruce Draper, says DARPA is using the same transparency techniques the cryptography community uses to improve technology. You can read more about all these headlines and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. IT leaders from the Energy Department, the IRS, the State Department, and the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center at the Pentagon are coming to the Government Forum 2022. It's happening Wednesday, January 19th at the Ritz-Carlton Pentagon City. You can read more about it and see the agenda in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Three-quarters of national security professionals that are eligible for the Continuous Evaluation Security Vetting Program are in it as of March of this year. The Government Accountability Office, though, finds more progress and work to do on the security clearance process. Charlie Phelan's principal at C.S. Phelan & Associates. He's former acting director of the Defense Counterintelligence and Security Agency. Charlie, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. The issue here, Brian Mazinek of the GAO was on the program a couple of weeks ago. I thought of you as, as I was talking to him because the issue that he talked about with NBIS was one thing, but the broader issue that I think is important to both people in government and people in industry is what's the current state and what is the future state of the trusted workforce, particularly trusted workforce 2.0? Welcome, Charlie. Thanks for coming on. And what's your assessment of that? Okay, Francis, thanks. It's great to see you and talk to you. And uh, we're all going to have a good holiday season here. Um, So at at its core, the trusted workforce 2.0 is a refinement of what trust means in today's and tomorrow's world. We think about the process, the concept we all grew up with here has its, its roots in the 1950s, but ultimately wanted to know sort of one question, uh, are you a spy working for the communists? Uh, so paraphrasing some of the GAO report, I really want to sort of highlight three, three quick areas here. Uh, one is um, the, tr- the trusted workforce 2.0 is rethinking that trust paradigm. Uh, it is developing the technology to support that mission and it is really working on how to measure success. Uh, all three are interesting challenges. Um, over the years, there really has been uh, some evolution in the current effort, in, in the process, I'm sorry, but the current effort is really coalescing, coalescing around a, a broadening uh, sense and range of what is trust betrayal. 
in today's and tomorrow's world. Certainly, it worries about espionage, it worries about theft of proprietary sensitive information, worries about terrorism, workplace violence, more recently, some hint of domestic violent extremism, and has really expanded from simply focusing on pure evil to include careless, thoughtless behaviors that, um, first of all, occur more frequently than the deliberate actions that I mentioned before, and at the same time, leave sensitive and protected things just as vulnerable. And so I see the biggest opportunity in Trusted Workforce 2.0 is the concept of continuous evaluation, uh, continuous vetting, which is, as you pointed out, gaining and growing in momentum here. Uh, it's that recognition that trusted people don't just generally snap, they devolve over time, and it gives an organization the uh, time and the opportunity to spot the trend indicators, and I think more importantly, to act on those indicators, either through mitigation, helping them, uh, or simply cutting the ties. Uh, to me, that's a much better outcome than suddenly discovering that your precious information has been taken to, uh, to Russia or sent over to WikiLeaks. Um, the, uh, then there is the technical support uh, to help efficiently collect that relevant and noteworthy information, make it available to all the agencies for tracking, analysis, action, and determination of trust, both initially and along the way. Biggest part of this is National Background Investigation Services, NBIS. And as GAO noted, by the end of 2022, nearly all cleared personnel will be enrolled in the automated checks to some level of, of uh, detail. That's going to be a requirement for continuous evaluation. NBIS, when it gets fully operational, will be the government-wide set of services that will help facilitate all of this. And then sort of finally, uh, um, as a measure of success, important measure of success will be production numbers case timeliness, as it is today, certainly quality of the data collection, whether automated or by humans, and not inconsequentially cost, or in effect, everybody would like this to be done faster, better, and cheaper, and maybe we can make that paradigm work, we'll find out. Uh, uh, one other um, challenge in uh, measure success has been uh, sort of, uh, it's a, high, a question we get asked a lot is, how many spies have you caught? Um, my view, security is a Security's goal is prevention. Uh, if there are spies, it's too late. A better uh, metric to look at might be uh, how many people have been helped and how many people have been maybe deterred by some of these actions here. It's probably a little less statistical and more substantive, but I think a more useful way of thinking about this is sort of how many people did not go into that morass and how has this process helped? Uh, how do you quantify that and how do you quantify it and qualify it, Charlie? How, how do you determine both of those things as far as deterrence and who you've helped and, and who you've put on the right path versus the wrong path? Well, the quantity part is would be relatively easy. It would be reporting those instances where some noteworthy item came up in this continuous evaluation, continuous vetting process, and then uh, having a central sort of repository, which turns out to look a little bit like Envis, for keeping track of what came up, what actions were taken, and how it was resolved. So statistically, the information will be there. I think it still remains to be seen, and we'll probably need some psychiatrists to come in and help us with this, as to what has been the longer-term impact of this. I think intuitively, you can look at it and say it is better to get somebody back on the right path early on than it is to wait until you've caught them walking out the door with your precious uh, materials. Um, what the, I think of all of the measures that you uh, laid out there a moment ago, Charlie, the quality of the data collection strikes me as the most important one. 
Is there a way to measure that? How do you know that the data that you're collecting, uh, especially through automated tools, is of sufficient quality for someone to be able to make decisions about it? Good, good point. Uh, the um, well, I, an interesting statistic here. Um, one of the, uh, the gold standards in data collection is running an FBI check on somebody. Um, if I were to tell you, and I'll be maybe a little bit off by tenths of a percent on this, but about maybe one and a half percent of all investigations that are conducted comes back with a relevant hit from the FBI. That's only one and a half percent or so. It may be off by a little bit of percentage, but, but and in most cases, it still does not end up, it is a noteworthy piece of information, something to be considered, but doesn't stop the person from working there. Um, but that is still sort of a gold standard of what quality is because everybody knows this is an inclusive database. And so it will be looking at, uh, at those things within the process. And they continue to look at this. By the way, they need to continuously evaluate the process too along the way, in addition to just the people, uh, to look at those things that make a difference. I'll pick one other example off the top of my head, and that is a, there's always been a debate about whether it's worth anybody as an investigator to go out and talk to your neighbors. My answer to that is it depends. If you come to my neighborhood, my neighbors know who I am. We've lived here for a number of years. We socialize in some cases. They're not all my BFFs forever, but uh, they, uh, uh, they know who I am. They can talk about things and I can talk about them. If you go to um, you know, roll the camera back to my daughter's early days working in, working in the uh, business world, she lived in an apartment. Nobody knew who she was. Talking to neighbors is completely useless. The goal is talking to people, talking to sources, identifying things that can give you context around that person and the decisions that they make in their life. How do we go about doing that in an automated fashion? Or am I not thinking about it the right way? Or, am, or is, is automation applied in a different way? So automation is useful. And automation is a good way to get at a, a, a variety of data. But doing the entire process through automation is not going to be sufficient if you want to get that complete piece of trust. Um, I can find an awful lot of publicly available information about an individual. Um, if I'm looking specifically at one person, this is helpful. If I'm doing it as is being done today on about 2 million people a year, this becomes a, a scope that is almost unmanageable. And so it's when to use this, this the broader uh, collection of automated data as a, a, a tool to, to uh, resolve an issue, as opposed to simply a screening mechanism. At the same time, there's a lot of stuff out there that will not be in the public domain, depending again, how active people are on, on internets. Uh, and, um, and so there's still a case to be made to talk to humans that are interacting with this human you're doing the investigation on, because you, we find an awful lot of useful information on that. Some of it uh, good, some of it maybe not so good. Where are we in that path that Congress set all of this on when you took this over in 2016, 2017? What remains to be done in your view and what keeps us from sliding back to where we were when Congress reimagined this then, because right. this used to live at DOD, moved to OPM, and then Congress said, well, OPM's not really doing it well. We're going to move it back to DOD. What keeps this from just being a shifting box every couple of years, Charlie? Yeah, that's a, that's a good good point. Um, a, a sort of a long answer here, a little bit here, uh, some of the challenges and then uh, sort of what keeps it from, uh, from going south again. Um, I think GAO, um, if you look at that report, has mapped out this process and this path pretty well. The goal in all of this is, um, is it is a binary decision. Do I trust somebody or not trust somebody? 
But that path you look at, um, some days it looks like you're hiking on the CNO Canal, and some days it's like you're climbing the Angels Landing at Zion National Park. Uh, it's not the same in every case here. Um, there are program challenges in this, uh, funding resources, capacity levels, uh, largely within the agencies, um, because this new process, as you collect more and more information and collect it more near real time, as opposed to every five or every 10 years, is gonna require collection and more important, it's gonna require action on the part of the agencies to deal with this. And that action requirement is expanding. GAO's report does note that not all agencies are, are sourced, funded, or set up to do this. Uh, and so that's an important piece that has to be, to be covered here. Um, the, another thread in this thing is that the results of this have to be consistent across the enterprise. In other words, that a, I'll pick two agencies at random, that a, a report done by the, an investigation done by the Department of, Health, of, uh, of Homeland Security is sufficient enough, and the CE report is sufficient and trusted by the folks at uh, at CIA or NSA who need to bring this person over or brief them in on stuff. So this is sort of mutual. Do I believe that everybody is is consistent in doing this kind of work here? Uh, the um, other place where this um, this this consistency is really really important is the fungibility of people. Uh, and this is most keenly felt in the industrial world here, where you're running people between contracts and working for different customers here. Um, and, and unless there is that confidence across those agencies to accept the investigative work done by others, this will continue to be a big bottleneck. Back to Francis, what I think is your question is, so how do we make sure that that we keep this, keep this thing going? I, this is not the first time the government has looked at clearance reform. There are efforts in the 2000s, there are efforts in the 90s and the 80s. I actually even found one done in 1957. And, and the reason I found it is I stumbled across a book written in 1964 in which the author was quoting this report and it was a congressionally mandated study and wondering whatever happened, we never saw anything. <laughs> <clears throat> so the, your, 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 I think your question is what, what is different this time? Um, most of the other of these sort of studies and, and activities were done by selected committees who made big reports and then everybody went home. What? has made, um, made this one different. And what will be the key to success in this is this one had engagement, it had inclusion, uh, leadership, um, the careerists, the political leaders, the agency leaders, Congress, industry, they have been and still are engaged and participating in all this. And at the same time, what I think is even more importantly, this is not done by a temporary committee. Uh, these are careerists, folks that have actually have to make this stuff work. We're in the middle of doing all this stuff. There's dialogue, there's discussion, debate, and just plain partnership. And then the last piece, which I think is both the most fragile one here, uh, is momentum uh, and the need to maintain that momentum. And that's really a leadership challenge. The early reform efforts lost that momentum. I think it's up to those leaders that I mentioned before, those ones in the career, political, executive, legislative branch, uh, to stay visible, stay engaged, and and stay active, and maintain that inertia. And I don't want you or anybody else coming back to ask the question in five years, saying whatever the hell happened to trusted workforce 2.0. Yeah, uh, Charlie, a lot of great insight there. Nobody knows it like you do, and I'm grateful for your insight today. Thanks very much. Okay, thanks, Francis. Take care. You can find a link to the GAO's work on the security clearance process in today's show notes at the Daily Scoop Podcast dot com. 
February 8th is the Delivering Better Outcomes Through Automation event FedScoop's putting on. It's at the Ritz-Carlton West End in D.C. from 8.30 to 3. You'll learn how agencies are adopting automation to build capacity, efficiency, and accuracy. You can read more about it and register through the link in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The National Archives won't accept paper records from agencies after next Friday. The digital deluge the Archives is managing from agencies has created a data deluge, too. Ghulam Shakir is the chief technology officer at NARA. In a recent video interview, he tells my colleague Wyatt Cash how NARA is becoming a more data-driven agency itself. In the recent years, there has been a considerable explosion of data. And then with that explosion of the data, there is a built-in expectation that the data should be actionable, like not just the data being stored for archiving purposes, right? So one of the things, first things that we could do is improve our data management practices. That means we surface siloed data, we eliminate duplication, and then we give the ability to create new derived data using the original data, not by duplicating it anymore. So now once you have a sound data management practice, you know, you set the stage for self-serving analytics. Here I want to emphasize self-serving analytics to distinguish from the reports, right? The moment you get the report, it's outdated, like, you know, but I'm talking about a a, uh, drill down capability where you can view the data from various perspectives. And then with that uh, drill down capability, you are able to start sharing your data, your dashboards, and kind of create a collaborative effort on data analytics. Now, the next part, once you have it, you have the data ready for analysis. Now you have to make the data actionable. I mean, here, you know, we have, sound practices of you know creating a knowledge graph a tax taxonomy to understand your data and once the maturity of the data grows you can look at building data sets and apply natural language processing and machine learning and where the applications that you build the insight is directly derived from your data actually Next, maybe I'd like to explore what what is your vision for managing, securing, and analyzing data that's increasingly taking shape at the edge of your agency's enterprise environment? Yeah, when you have um, data at the edge, that means you're talking about data that is being accessed very frequently, and it's highly sought after, right? So what you have to do is if you have to manage it well, you have to make it highly available. Like one of the techniques that we use is uh, we use content delivery network. And we are already doing that for our National Archives catalog application. Like if you go and and look for the National Archives catalog where all the records of the public government that are public, which which could be made public, which are there, you could see some of the data that's delivered comes through the content delivery networks. And then if you want the data to be on the edge, that means you have to also think about cost implications. So there is a lot of data that's sitting there that could be expensive. And then the data is requested in different formats. Like for example, if it's an image, 
you don't want to create like you know different thumbnail format or a uh, a a photo frame format or things like that what do you do is you go with the IFFF standard or any kind of image standard where the images are automatically transformed on the fly to so that you don't you're not duplicating all that data on the edge of your network now we have to be very careful about you know separating out uh, the highly sought after data from least interesting data so to speak what you have to do is you have to the separate to separate them is kind of a challenge but once you do that you can put the least sought after data in a cold storage and thereby what you can see is you know you have a highly valuable data and the and a least sought after data you kind of kind of create a tier of where you know each kind of a data takes a different tier and then that's how you can go about managing it and when it comes to you know security we have looked at role based access control and one of our concerns is you know if the data is on the edge of the network you know does it have pii you know uh, so we need a robust redaction mechanism that we are looking at that we are we have to start looking and remove the pii that's automatically that's there and to finally to cap it off you know if you want to really ana analyze the data on the edge it has to be you need some elastic resources like something that can scale up and down certainly a complex situation at the yep, very exactly. least exactly um, yeah well and and then to add to that how is the expected growth and distributed nature of digital workloads reshaping your agency's investment priorities around on-prem hybrid and public cloud environments that that's a great question Wyatt. actually uh, the way i look at it our reshaping of our investment priorities is basically is to go for a solution that that scales for us um like you know it could be starting off with a with a low impact saas or a saas and then you know uh platform as a service or an infrastructure as a service so it it's hard for us to look at you know between on prem hybrid because we are just directly going to looking at solving the actual business problem but if you want to specifically you know target on on prem we are doing lots of digitization you know you basically take things that are on paper you scan them you convert in the image and then you have to transport that so we have a lot of investment that we are we have to make in digitization and storing of those records temporarily and then copying them and putting them in the cloud where we can have the rest of the resources that come in that complete the picture now if you look at it there is lots of um, like data that's being generated in the cloud and it kind of makes sense to keep it there so that you don't want to like take things out of the cloud or 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 create lots of different uh, copies what we want at the end of the day is 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 across the on prem hybrid and the cloud we just need a single pane of glass to manage our resources and and one of the ways we could do that is you know explore into container orchestration so that we better manage our infrastructure and then last and kind of the um, output of all this if you will is 
thinking about how digital transformation actually helps agencies navigate through uh, various challenges, most notably the pandemic recently. What new plans um, are you considering to support remote workers and improve citizen services in light of what we've all been through? Uh, yeah, this pandemic has been a certainly a wake-up call for especially in terms of modernization, right? So right now with the pandemic, we have basically accelerated the pace of digitization like anything. For example, we are working on the release of 1950 census. Like it was previously, it was just going to be a 1950 webs website where you can go search for people names like an amateur genealogist. But now not only that, we have kind of focused on, okay, what else can we do to make that data available? So we are looking at making that whole 1950 census data available as a bulk data set in each of the major cloud providers. You can go download the whole thing and you can do your own analysis. Yes, there is a website that is on the side. You can go look at it, but there is, if you want the raw data, you can free to download it and you can do whatever you want. And, and, and we are also enhancing the website to provide transcription tools so that people can easily search through some of the handwritten text um, so those are the very interesting thing that Zing, we couldn't have done it, I think, you know, in terms of the whole massive dissertation, we are rethinking and, and just going beyond just creating a 1950 website, right? So, and, um, and also right now for, that was for citizen services. Now, what are we doing for um, remote workers? We are, we are actually moving heavily from not relying on our VPN. We are looking at SaaS solutions. We already have some SaaS solutions like, you know, like we don't have to be logged on on our VPN to check our email and everything, but we want the same experience for some of our homegrown applications. Now, the only way we could think of doing it is moving to a zero trust architecture. Some of the SaaS applications that's there where you can check your email from your smartphone that's possible because there is a zero trust architecture already built into that email platform. Now we need to replicate that. We need to invest in our own zero trust architecture so that not only we just access the email from anywhere, we can access any application from anywhere without relying on our VPN logging in, which has its own uh, challenges around bandwidth and, and so on. Ghulam Shakir, the Chief Technology Officer at the National Archives and Records Administration. You can find a link to watch the entire conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast. A note, we're off tomorrow for Christmas Eve. You'll get new shows again next week, Monday through Thursday, including a preview of what you should watch in the new year. Off again next Friday for New Year's Eve, and then back at it on January 3rd with a great lineup of guests for 2020. The next Daily Scoop podcast debuting Monday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped me put the show together and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until Monday afternoon, thanks very much for listening.